Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... Mayu, what's going on, everybody? Um, Austin, your turn to, this time. What's new, man? This time, it's not like... No, no, sometimes you flip it back to me. <laughs> yeah, but forget the last like five or six months since I've been going first, right? <laughs> Is it every five months then we get to hear Mayu go first? <laughs> I was thinking I'm going to say do the intro. We'll see. We'll see. Kick you off. Um, that no, but but on my end right now, um, so I was continuing off of the journey of the flip that I keep on talking about. So everything was wrapped up. Things have been staged. It looks gorgeous. And then we list offer presentation rolls around and we actually don't get the price that we want. Um, and from time to time, this does happen. Dude, it happens um, all the fucking time. Every single yeah, time I'm trying to sell flip. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know if we use the right strategy for this particular property in terms of listing. Because when you're dealing with higher end product, I think those clientele may not want to bid 100, 150K, 200K mm. above asking. We might have listed it too low, too low. Mm. but we had a ton of demand for the property. We had 40 plus people walk in the property before offer yeah. presentation date. And with, I sat down with my agent, Waylon, who's partner on this flip with me. And we kind of just talked it through, figuring out what we could do going forward. And we're planning to relist it. I believe it should have been relisted right now. Here's something funny is, is that someone messaged us saying, oh, um, I'm interested at this price or a little bit lower, which we actually listed it a bit higher than what we wanted and for room for negotiation. But they didn't participate in the offer presentation because their assumption was that it was going to go something ridiculously over and they didn't want to waste anyone's time, including their client or their own. And so now we listed that out, give or take what we want to make Mm -hmm. the profit that we're looking for. Um, We have individuals reaching out and still booking. Obviously, the booking is not going to be 40 plus people like it was originally, but we have more serious uh, buyers. Qualified buyers. Yeah. And it made me think, it's like, okay, like, obviously, it's not a good thing to take things off and relist. It's going to have some sort of stigma. Yeah. Um, however, maybe we approached it with the wrong strategy for this particular property. Uh, I, I don't have any fear that we're going to sell it or not. And worse comes to worse, Waylon and I were calculating it as a refi. And I know it's not the ideal thing to refi something at a million dollars plus yeah yeah but our appraisal came in at pretty much very close to 1.1 million let's say you do refi you would just like airbnb it yeah that would be the only thing to make it work so when we calculated the total expenses and i was being very aggressive with the expenses as well yeah 30 year amortization we're looking at about 4.4k to 4.5k in rental revenue to break even right right so for one tenant it's a lot of risk that's a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't think you're going to get a tenant looking to rent something out at 4.5, like even yeah. 5K, right? That's not happening. So, Airbnb would be the best avenue. And very fortunately, this is within a five minute drive and even walking distance to a lot of the different um, hiking trails in uh, Hamilton. So, I'm sure you know that Hamilton has like two, three, four yeah. hiking trails. This is beside all of the golf clubs and hiking trails. So, there is a game plan for that. But it's not ideal. The last yeah. thing we want to do is hold a mortgage that it's is a backup. 3.5. Exactly. Yeah. It's a backup. And we'll have, I would say, probably 97 or 98% of all of our money out, including pay, paying back the private lenders and yeah. the interest incurred. But it's not the situation that we want to go down. But at least there's that if we need absolutely need to. Yep. Yep. And I, I think we're basically in the same boat. Like we, uh, we listed it in my opinion, a little bit aggressive, right? But I was like, it's doable. Then we got, we had an offer on the weekend and it was like way lower, like way lower. I was like, not a fucking chance, but you know what? I'll counter these guys. And I, I basically just, I told my realtor, I'm like, look, counter them and counter them uh, and let them know if they want to counter back to this, it's got to be an aggressively fast closing. Otherwise, like I'm, I'm happy to just stay on the market and just wait it out. So that, that person like fell off. Like they were just like, no, nah, like, it's not going to work, whatever. And then we do have another offer accepted on it as of this morning. Now, nothing's done until the, the check is literally in the bank account, but it's not the sales price that we wanted, but it was a healthy profit margin regardless. And 
it was more so they gave us closing for November 19th, which is very that two, two, three weeks away. And we have another flip closing on the buy for November 22nd. So I was like, dude, I can save on like private, like just take this cash and profit and move it towards that one. Like there's so much more behind um, the actual offer. And I told the realtor, I'm like, you make sure they know that like, I'm not taking this because of price. Cause like, fuck, I think we're like under selling it. But like the terms were like pretty fucking good. Like all cash flows in like two and a half weeks. Like, yeah, okay. Now fuck with that. <laughs> yeah, which is great because that benefits you because ultimately it does save you money from getting private for your next yeah. flip. So you're going to be making more money in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. on the buyer's end, they don't mind closing quick. So they get a seller deal. So it's like yeah. a win-win situation there. Yeah. And obviously the realtor is like, fuck, the sale is done. I'm I'm moving forward with it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be out of the country for like both of these transactions closing. So I got to make sure this shit happens on time. And like, I don't know, because it's, it's kind of like nerve wracking. Because at the same time, if the buyer doesn't close on the buy for the flip, because November 19th to November 22nd is literally, I think, a weekend in between there. Um, if the buyer doesn't close, we got to move money fast so that we can make sure that we close the buy still. Right. So still a lot of risk, but we'll see, man. Nothing's done until cash is in the account. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's exactly what it is. And I say the same thing for wholesale deals as well. I don't consider a property sold until deposits collected and the property is closed. Cause yeah. any, like I tell you all the time, I sometimes have to push things around, postpone some of our conversations because yeah. <laughs> there is an immediate fire that needs to be addressed. For example, with one of our properties, vacant possession didn't end up being vacant. <laughs> and obviously now you have to smooth things out. It's, it's a weird dynamic because you got to smooth things out with the seller, with the mm -hmm. buyer and with the tenant. And a lot of those parties have like differing interests, right? The seller yeah. wants to close regardless. The buyer needs it to be vacant for the flip. The tenant yeah. needs some time to leave or maybe they don't want to leave. Right. So it was just a disaster of a situation. And you will not believe this man. We were able. So the tenant was not gone on the 29th of October. Okay. And that was the closing date. And we we're able to get like not even planning to leave or anything. We we're able to get the tenant out all their stuff out by November 3rd. <laughs> so, yeah, we we're just stressing and trying How to, you to pay him. Do you guys pay him or not? We, we didn't pay him. We, we got an Airbnb for him. And we got him to move all of his stuff to storage. So that costed us 2.5K. That's not in the bad. Grants, it's, not, yeah. it's not bad. Yeah. And the seller was not willing to push. The buyers didn't want to push because exterior oh. renovations need to be done. Yeah. And you know, winter's rolling around. Mm. You can't do exterior during the winter. Yeah, so it yeah, was yeah. just all over the place. And pretty much the deal had to get done the week after or it was okay. going to be a dead deal. Like, like no one, we couldn't get everyone to agree to a certain set of terms. So what it worked your... out. <laughs> I, what was your fee? Our fee wasn't too big. Our fee was, I think it was 12, 12.5K. Oh, so we probably walk away with 10K. That hurts a Because um, we it? incurred, yeah. yeah, we incurred that 12.5K. Uh, what, what do wholesalers pay as a legal? Like what's the legal fee for a wholesale deal? Less than $1,000. Oh, okay, okay. So it's, it's kind of like the sell side. Yeah, it's like five, 600, sometimes oh, okay, okay. That's depending good. how much work's involved, but usually yeah. around five to $600. It's not much at all. Yeah. Uh, um. But anyways, like we're, <laughs> I think we're going on and on right now. Uh, there'll be more updates next week. So don't worry, guys. There'll be a lot more money in Austin. Let's get into today's podcast. Today, we have Gary Hibbert. You probably heard of Gary. He's been investing for over a decade, has his own podcast, has his own real estate club, and I believe is also a broker of his own real estate uh, agent team. So has a lot going on. And he actually got started in investing in 2008 during the recession, which is quite an interesting time. And he walks us through that journey and that realization that people were getting fired left, right and center in his job and how he was able to use real estate to take control of his own life with almost no money. And we dive into that and we get into a very interesting topic of architecting your dream lifestyle, because as you'll hear in this podcast, Gary doesn't work all day and night. He's kind of finished the hustle and he's able to take summer vacations off as well. Two months off of real estate, which is quite amazing while still getting a payroll. So, so that's awesome stuff. You do not want to miss this episode out. I think this is the lifestyle a lot of us look to achieve and we dive into that in today's episode. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Mr. Gary Hibbert. Gary, how's everything going? Great. Listen, thank you guys very much for having me here. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to doing this with you guys. You guys are rock stars. You guys have been crushing it over the last couple of years. And It'll be fun. Awesome, Gary. So for anyone in our guests that doesn't know you, like what's 
what's your background in the investment and, and like what you're doing today? What's, what's uh, the rundown? Yeah. So, I mean, geez, uh, where do I start? I mean, I started back in 2008 investing in real estate. Um, I, uh, you know, had great experience in it. And then as we started doing well, we decided to start a real estate investment club in 2010. Um, we really still didn't know what we were doing, but we're like, you know what, let's just be completely transparent and share our story, share what we're doing with, with people. And, and so I started like a weekly blog, which I still continue to do to this day. Um, I'm also a, a real estate agent. So I got my license in 2014. Uh, and then I decided to leave my full-time job, even though I still didn't have enough income coming in from the investment properties yet. But I saw that there was something there. You know, I saw that we were growing our database and our presence in the real estate investing industry. Um, and then we uh, decided to start a another company called Deep Pockets, which is a private lending company. I know very little about it. Um, but what I've learned over the years is to partner with people who are super, super smart. And so I've done that. And then I'm also the owner of a uh, brokerage where we got about 112 real estate agents there. So a lot of different moving pieces, uh, but been having a lot of fun with it. And I'm also a host uh, for my own podcast as well, too, called Real Talk with Gary. So been having a lot of fun with this. It's, 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 been, a, it's been a great and, and enjoyable ride. That's awesome. So you've been in real estate for a little over a decade now, and you're doing a bunch of things. You went from the investing side to building your own community and now owning several businesses within the space. Let's yeah. start down from the humble beginnings, because I think that's where most people relate to. And like, and a lot of people kind of gloss over with more experienced investors. How did you exactly get started into real estate investing? I know you're working a corporate job. Can we dig down into that? Absolutely. So why don't we kind of maybe get to the origins of it? So um, in 2008, if you guys remember, uh, that was when they had the, uh, the financial crash in the U.S. And so in Canada, if you remember, we didn't really have like a major crash, but there was this, this belief that it was coming, that this wave was coming into Canada and we were going to get hit by it really hard. And so some of the banks started preparing for that and they, and they started to, to do some, uh, some changes. And so I went into work on a Monday morning, uh, kind of minding my own business, sat down in my cubicle. I saw one of my coworkers get called into the office and he came out and you see the look on somebody's face. Like they, they just saw a ghost. I knew something was wrong. I was like, oh my God, this guy just got let go. And so all day long, they were, they were firing people. They were letting people go. And we had just recently purchased um, our, our kind of dream home at the time and had two young kids and I'm like, I need this job. If I get let go, I'm, I'm gonna lose this property. And so all day I was just kind of in this panic mode. And at four o'clock, the manager comes out and he goes, all right, everybody that's left, you guys are safe. And I remember driving home in the car by myself and I was like, never again do I ever wanna feel like somebody is in control of my financial future or freedom. But you know, I, didn't really kind of know what to do. And so tried a whole bunch of different businesses, got into Forex, got into stock trading, got into um, commodities, selling wheat, oil, soya beans, all that fun stuff. And uh, I was putting myself into, into more debt. And so this is where everything kind of changed and why I decided to go down the path of real estate investing was I went into my financial advisor's office and he's like, Gary, you don't know how to manage debt. And I'm like, no, get rid of all my credit cards, get rid of all my lines of credit. Because, you know, you, you, you see that as debt and, and you really didn't know. I didn't know at the time the difference between good debt and bad debt. And I'm like, yes, cut it all up. Going forward, I'm buying everything cash. I don't care. And so at that time, my primary residence had bailed me out three times. Now she goes out, leaves the office. I'm in there by myself. She goes to print the papers and everything and, and come back in for me to sign it. And so I look up on the wall. And I see the index chart. Have you guys ever seen the index chart before? It's this big chart in the wall in all financial advisors' office and shows you what the stock market has done for the last 50 yeah. years. You know, interest rates have done for the last. So this big, huge chart gives you a high-level overview of where the economy is going. And I, and I kind of keyed in on, and I, I kind of zoomed in on what inflation was doing. I didn't really know a whole lot about inflation, but I, I knew enough that inflation meant that whatever you bought this year, uh, it was going to go up by a certain percentage next year. And so inflation was doing anywhere between, you know, 2% to 18, 20%. And I was like, well, hold on, if I average this out about 5% a year, 
And so I did the real quick math on my on my phone and I realized that my raise at work last year, the previous year was about a thousand dollars, which is pretty good. Not bad, right? But it only worked out to about 1.6% based on my current income. That was when the light bulb went off. I was like, ah, I get it. I can't outpace inflation by having a job. And that is when that whole light bulb moment went off. And I was like, well, if this home that I have has bailed me out three times, taken all my debt and put in my mortgage, what if I had just one more property? Just one more. How would that change my life? And that was, that was when everything changed. That was when I was like, I, I got to get into real estate, right? That's kind of the humbling beginnings. So how do you go about buying that first property? Is it just where you're just recycling capital, essentially an equity that you had built up in your primary residence into your rentals or, um, and then just growing organically from there? Or did you jump right into partners, OPM? Like how'd you go about I jumped personal? right into partnerships. I didn't have money. I just had, you know, took all my debt. I got rid of all my credit cards, got rid of all my lines of credit. You know, the interesting thing too, is that back in 2008, you could actually get a 40 year amortization. So I got a 40 year amortization. People are like, you're crazy. Why would you ever do that? And at the time, I didn't know really kind of why I was doing either, but I knew that I wanted to lower my payments. Yeah. I knew like it, it just kind of made sense to maybe I might look better on paper or at, at least, you know what, I'll have more money than month. And so by doing that, it allowed me to be able to, to qualify for another investment property. And, uh, and what I ended up doing was partnering with a, with a friend uh, to buy a property that his, uh, so here's the story. So this is crazy. So his dad and his, uh, his wife were, were living in this home in Oshawa. They're going through a divorce. And I kind of started putting it out into my network uh, that I wanted to buy an investment property. And so my friend calls me back up, you know, about a couple of weeks later, he goes, Hey, were you serious about buying an investment property? Yeah, yeah. He goes, okay, well, my dad's going through a divorce. He really loves his home. He wants to stay there. Can you buy it? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Um, and he goes, you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So we went and got approved. And uh, in 2008, for a very, very small window, you could buy, an, um, buy a home with 0% down. <laughs> so I got approved, but I didn't have <laughs> any money. And, uh, and so I go to my buddy, I go, hey, listen, you know what? Want to partner with me? Because the closing costs and everything is like $3,000. And he goes, I don't got any money either. And I'm like, come on, you got to be able to scrounge up like at least $1,500. And so we both did, it was, I can't remember what it was, like 1600 bucks or something like that. And we, and we, and we partnered. And that was how I kind of got my, my door in my first investment property. Um, and then right afterwards, you know, the, the, the U.S. market kind of crashed and they got rid of that 40-year amortization. They got rid of that whole zero down. So it was a very small window. But, if you're, but you know, kind of go looking back at that, Canada was going into that, um, that arena of making it very easy for almost anybody to get qualified. And, and luckily, they kind of pulled the reins back. Mm. So, so that was how I kind of got started. But, 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 but at a very early stage of my career, I understood the importance of joint ventures, even though I didn't really understand it to, to, where I, to the level that I do now and, and leveraging other people's money. That's awesome. That, so you did anything to make things work. And it seemed like you learned from the school of hard knocks, right? Like a couple of unfortunate events got you into real estate investing and you took advantage of that opportunity. Um, I love that because in retrospect, now that I hear like, oh, 0% down, 40-year Amazon, that's a no-brainer. But at that time, it was so common for people to understand that concept that people were like, why would I ever do that? Like, I don't want to take on any debt, right? right. Um, but you still were able to take advantage of that opportunity where most people in your network were like, don't do it, Gary, don't do it. And you're like, I need to get into the market one way or another. So you made it happen. Um, sorry, yeah. Mike, it looks like you're itching to say something. No, no, I was just saying it's crazy because there's still talk, there's rumors about the 40 year amortization coming back in today's world, which would, I think, be crazy, but it's surreal to know that it existed before um, back in the 07, 08 times and um, could have been pretty deadly, I guess, if everyone jumped on those 0% down approaches, right? Um, right. But Gary, like, I kind of see your journey as having like these three tiers, right? Where you started in 08, then you reached this milestone in 2014, right? And then what you're doing today is a whole other journey that I want to make sure we talk about as well. So uh, I'm just curious, what was that 08 to 2014, like on a quick rundown, like how did you scale your portfolio? And at what point did you leave your job to do this real estate stuff full time? Because I think after that is when you really would have catapulted um, and you'd already started a, you did a lot between 08 and 14 because you started up a club and, you know, you did a couple of different things there, right? So, yeah, so good question. And I think here's, here's where I think really the magic started to happen is, and I'll have to rewind just a little bit to then really kind of paint the picture for you. 
And so my brother had brought over this documentary called The Secret around maybe 2006, 2007. I can't remember her name now. But anyway, she had went on Oprah Winfrey to, to talk about this. So we sat down, we watched it. And when I was done, I'm like, man, this is crazy. Like you can just write stuff down and, and, and have all this wishful thinking and things and this, you know, all of a sudden the universe will just present things to you. And I'm like, it sounds kind of crazy, but, but let me try it at least. Let me at least start writing things down. Let me get a whiteboard and, 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 and see if this works. And then I started listening because there was a lot of really cool things that they were talking about in that particular documentary that it started to open up gateways for me. So I came across Jim Rome, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins, all these people. I started listening to them in my car. And Jim Rohn was probably, I would say, somebody that completely shifted and changed who I am today. And I listened to him every single day in the car and just took notes, paid attention. And it was one thing that he talked about, which was this exercise of designing your life. And I'm like, can you really design your life? And so what I did was, and I'll share this with everybody, because I think this is really, really important. And he goes, make the goal um, of, of writing down everything that you want, 100 things. And most people probably can't even come up with 20 things that they want in their life. And he goes, I don't care how big it is. I don't care how small it is. You know, who do you want to be? Where do you want to go? Um, what do you want to see? Just everything from, you know, paying off a $1,000 credit card to buying a, a 10,000 square foot mansion. And so once I did that, then he goes, write a one, three, five, or 10 beside it. And he goes, anything that has a three, five, or 10, that's like, how long will it take you to accomplish each of these goals? One year, three years, five years, or 10 years? Everything with those large numbers, put in a drawer, don't even look at it. And anything that has a one beside it means you can accomplish it this year. And then that's what went on my whiteboard. Okay. So then you fast forward now. I started saying, look, maybe I should start a business. I like this real estate investment thing. Let's see where it goes. And that was the birth of Smart Home Choice in 2010. And then on that whiteboard was everything that I wanted to accomplish in that year. And I remember I'd written down that I wanted four investment properties. And at the end of the year, I had four investment properties. And that was the next biggest light bulb for me was like, I get it. it has nothing to do with money. See, people think that you physically have to have the money. And by writing it down and realizing that certain things were now presenting itself to me in opportunities and, and, and what, you, what I was focusing my attention on was starting to happen. And that was when I was like, you really can design a life. It's not easy. There's hard work involved in it for sure, but it's 100% possible. And so uh, that's really where things started to change from 2010 until to where I am today. Um, you know, by how many homes I wanted to buy, how many, um, you know, starting membership within Smart Home Choice. Um, do I want any real estate agents to work within my business? Um, how many deals that I want to do every single year, just to, how much income that I wanted to make, just everything. I, it was just a roadmap, right? And, 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 and here's the other thing as well, too. I think people get caught up in like um, wanted to see that finished product. And sometimes here's a great analogy. It's like, it's like driving to Florida at night with, with your headlights on. You can't see the whole entire path, but you can see enough in front of you to continue to keep driving. That's what those goals are all about. Like you, you, you know where the destination is, but you don't have to see the whole entire path. Very true. It's, it's kind of like what they say about, you know, I don't remember the exact saying, but it's that saying that it's like, well, you can accomplish a lot more in 10 years than you think versus like the one year or whatever that saying is. Right. So um, when you jumped ahead to 2014 um, and you were quitting your job, I'm curious, like, like what was your portfolio? Like, I know you'd mentioned earlier on that, like the cash flow wasn't really enough to replace um, your employment income, but I guess what gave you the courage? What, what, what did you do to set you up for success when you quit your job? Yeah, so what I, what I had done was we made a decision because me and my wife really kind of um, designed what we wanted to put in the whiteboard and, and, and really kind of grew this together. But we said, if we get to a certain income, we'll give, I'll throw a number, I'll say it was $2,500 a month. Um, you know, it, if it covered our mortgage tax insurance, um, then we would leave. Um, we wouldn't maybe have enough food to put on the table, but we had really good neighbors, so we can always kind of knock on the door and, <laughs> you know, and maybe borrow, borrow some flour. I love the contingency <laughs> and planning. Some sugar or whatever, right? <laughs> so, so we had a certain goal that we said, if we hit this, then we're going to make that move. And then we also wrote down the day, the month, the month and the year that we were going to leave. And when that happened, 
we were like, okay, we put it out there. Let's let's do it. And so it was a uh, it was a leap of faith. However, the leap of faith was still um, us packing our parachute in the back and then jumping. And it doesn't open right away, but eventually, if you design it properly, um, it will eventually open. And and that's essentially what we did. And and I think that's what people have to realize that it's not about just okay. Well, I've made up my mind. I'm gonna leave. And not really have a plan. You see a lot of people do that where they're just fed up and frustrated, but you can't do that. You have to, you have to plan your escape. It's like kind of like being in jail. You, you know, you, you got to design it. How are you doing it? What tunnels are you going through? Right. So, so it's no different than if you want to leave the nine to five job. You can't just wake up one morning, and just quit. You, you've got to design how you're actually going to make that, that exit strategy work and, and know that you may not have um, you know, the right amount of income where you want to be, but at least say, Hey, look, this is enough. Let's do it because I've set up all these other things. And I believe that that this can work. And and that's essentially what we did. And the other thing as well, too, is that when we finally left, I think what you don't realize is, um, that sometimes a nine to five job, um, takes away sometimes some of your creativity. And when you become an entrepreneur and when you actually now go into that, that entrepreneurial world, all these things start to open up and the creativity really starts to flow to you. And at least that's what I found. It's scary. There's no doubt about it. But um, but it was, it was it was definitely a great experience. Honestly, I would love to do it again. So I always get excited when I see entrepreneurs leave for the first time, like where you guys are right now. And, and I know that the, the, the pains involved in it because you're trying to map out your day. You're trying to map out your week and your year. You got all this extra time and how do you do it all? And it's, 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 it's a lot of chaos in the beginning. But once you're able to find your footing and in, in, in a system, um, it's, it's fun. Yeah, I know that, that totally makes sense. So you did have a plan when you were leaving your full-time job, you didn't blindly just get fed up and say goodbye to it. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. There was a saying as well, a man without a plan is planning for failure, right? And I guess that's what smart, uh, home choice is all about. Like where you put the acronym smart, like your, your goals were very specific. You had a timeline in which you said, if I hit this amount of income, I'm going to leave at like maybe three months after. So you had everything measurable and specific and there was no room for you to get out of that. Otherwise, you're not really keeping to your plan. So um, that that does make a lot of sense. So you were, I just had a curiosity after you ended up leaving your job, what did you do for the first couple of months? Because I know it's very confusing as an entrepreneur um, figuring out your work schedule because your life isn't routine anymore, right? And I assume your businesses weren't fully started up at that very moment. So it, a lot of things are probably ad hoc. How did you stay motivated when you quit your job and walk me through the first couple of months, how that experience was like? Yeah, it was chaos. It was, it was difficult because I didn't know how to really kind of plan out the day. And, uh, and, and so I was busy, but busy doing things that were not productive all the time. There were productive things, obviously, don't get me wrong, but it was just everything was all over the place. And uh, and one of the things, because my wife had left her full time job about a year earlier, and uh, she's like, Gary, you know what you need? You need an agenda. You know, you're you're just kind of um, flying off of the edge of your seat, and just whatever comes, you're taking it. Emails, this, text, whatever. Um, and and so that was a difficult thing because I was just I was being reactive as opposed to proactive, and so then now. I what I when I got the agenda, the agenda was a huge game changer for me because the agenda then tied very closely to my whiteboard. So the agenda kept me on track on a day to day basis where I would write down everything that I had to do in it. And and I'll kind of go through this. I think this is important as well, too, because some agendas will have like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in it. And I was trying to do that in the agenda. And it was so tricky and I had a really difficult time with it. That I said, okay, screw that. What I'm going to do in the agenda, and I like I like writing things down. Is I said to do, personal, and important. I just broke it down into three categories. And there's different ways of doing it, but those are the three things. And then notes. So those are the four things. So to do, personal, important, notes. And so to do was just anything that I just had to do. Personal was just personal stuff that I had to pick up. But important, the important column was everything that was tied very closely to my whiteboard. And the notes were just, you know, if I had phone calls. Then I used my phone 
And the phone was a calendar entry where now I can organize my day and my week. And why the agenda is also very important because now I can actually check things off as I'm going through the week. And then, you know, if things would pop into my mind, I would use this agenda as a dumping ground. So if I was working on a particular task, something popped in my mind, boom, write it down, write it down. Because I, I, I always wanted my mind to be completely clean and clear of everything else, um, as opposed to all these things kind of happen. Oh, don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do that. And then so by the end of the week, there's only four things that you can ever do with anything. You either you do it right, meaning you've checked it off. You defer it, meaning you're going to bring it into the next week. You delegate it, meaning that this is where you start building a team and people around you that you can delegate some of these tasks to, or you delete it, meaning that it really wasn't that important. So let's just get rid of that. That is what really kind of changed the the trajectory of me personally and my business. It really, it just came down to organizing my, my, my day. And when your day is organized, it's, it's so much easier because then you can find time within the day to relax, to take a nap, to enjoy what you're building, but then also to work very hard. And so because it's structured, as opposed to some people like, well, there's so many different things I got to do. I got to do it all. And you, and you just run at a time. And, and, and that's just called being busy, doing things for other people sometimes when you forget about your own personal goals. I could definitely relate to that. I don't know. Um, I still feel like my days are, are very much um, re- reactive, right? Like what's coming in in my email and like, let me just address this. And then the entire day goes by. I'm like, shit, like I didn't actually work on the business like I wanted to. I just ended up spending the day like addressing stuff, right? So that's great. Um, but you, you quit your job and you jumped into like all these different businesses, right? Like you started up, um, I think you had mentioned that you started up the private lending arm and then you jumped into the real estate brokerage. And I'm assuming you're still buying investment properties with partners and stuff like that. Um, how did you decide to go into these different businesses? And now as an individual with multiple businesses, like, A, how do you manage your, your time today? Because I feel like you're at, a, at an end goal for myself in Austin and multiple other investors, right? Where all you want to grow this real estate portfolio, you want to leave your day job. And then what you want to do is have multiple businesses and be kind of running the show per se, right? So um, just curious how you structure your growth after you quit your job. Yeah. So after we quit our job, we continued to grow our real estate investment portfolio. Then we got a, in a, a point in our careers where we realized that, you know, we, we'd gotten to run 90, not 19 or 20 doors. And we're like, okay, um, we keep buying these single family homes and converting them. Cause we did a lot of burrs that how many of these properties are we going to have to buy to really get the cash flow that we really need? So then we're like, okay, well, the next way to scale this is to buy apartments. And so then we went, me and my wife, we took a course. And then uh, if you guys know uh, Casey and Jedediah, so they do uh, multifamily. They're really good friends of ours. And we're like, you know what? Let me give him a call. So I reached out to him. He goes, Gary, come on. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you what I'm doing out in St. Catharines and Kitchener. So he took us around. He showed us his investment portfolio, what he did on a day-to-day basis. And we spent pretty much the whole entire day with him, which was, which was great. And uh, we weren't completely sold on multifamily yet, but we're like, you know what, this makes sense. We, you know, we, we, this probably is a route to take. And then we had a conversation with our accountant and, you know, starting a corporation around that. And how do we do it all? And how do we scale it? And how do we get new investors to come in and, and partner with them? And so I went to a Christmas party that year with, uh, with one of my mentors, Dave Butler from Butler Mortgages. And we were having a conversation he goes, Gary, so what's, what's on the agenda? What's new? What do you, what's, what's your goals for, for next year? And I go, I think I'm going to get into multifamily investing. And I think he realized that I wasn't super excited when I said it. And he goes, uh, well, that's one way of doing it. And that kind of opened up another conversation. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And he goes, well, what about private lending? And so that kind of stayed in my mind. Uh, a few weeks went by, you know, we went into January let's just have a conversation about this private lending. I'd heard about it, but I never really kind of dove into it. And he explained to me how it all worked. And I'm like, you know what? Instead of continuing to build doors, why don't I now start to lend my money out like the banks do? And because I've, I've built the wealth, I've built the portfolio, how many more doors do I really need? And I think people get caught up in when they're investing in real estate, they got to keep on getting more doors and more doors and more doors where it was more, well, hold on a second, why don't we slow down, maybe offload a few of these doors. We now have a large amount of capital 
that we can lend out. Because if you can lend out, let's say a million dollars, well, then what type of cash flow are you getting? And yes, I get it. You're not getting a mortgage paid on. Yes, I get it. You're not getting the appreciation. But if you still have a number of doors here and you can still lend out your money over here, well, then have you not then found success? Have you not then now found what you were looking for as opposed to getting caught up in that hamster wheel? Because I've learned over the years by doing these podcasts and learning from a lot of people who are successful, some of these people get burnt out. Some of these people realize when they when they're kind of getting to where they thought they wanted to get to, they're no longer happy because there's all these moving pieces. And so what we tried to do was then to untangle some of all of these moving pieces to now focus on well, what do we really enjoy doing? And that's why Deep Pockets kind of came into existence as saying, yes, this is another avenue that we can do, but we don't have to continue to grow this business. Because here's what I also found it as well, too, is that I don't really love real estate investing. <laughs> so then if I don't really love real estate investing, then why am I continuing to build all these doors? What I love doing is this, the podcast, sharing my story, um, learning from other people, um, mingling with people that are successful, learning what has made them happy and what has made them unhappy. I think that's what it's all about. And so it's okay to sometimes pivot and change your position. Um, and and that's, that's, that's why we kind of started Deep Pockets. It, it really made, I think, the most sense for us to free up our time. And, and, I'll, and I'll kind of finish it off with this, which I think was important, is that we do many retirements. We take July and August off, and we take December and January off. Yes, I can make way more money in those months and continue to keep growing the business, but I made it very clear to myself and my family and my partners um, that we don't work in those months. I do a little bit of work. You know, there's obviously some things that I get to continue to keep doing to keep things going, but it's literally down to like four to six hours a week um, during those times. And, and at that time, you know, I bought a cottage. I spend time up there with my friends and my family. We're on the boat. We're fit. like, we're enjoying life. And then come September again, boom, we're back into the grind again. And that is how I think you, you can design a life, you know? I so, love that. So a lot of people, when they get into real estate investing, and I, I want to say the vast majority of people are at least with the younger audiences, they get into it with the mindset of financial freedom. I want to travel. I want to do this. I want to do that. Yep. But then they tend to forget about it because once you're in the community, one thing that people start promoting is mindset, which is great, but it's to the point where it's always growth mindset, nonstop growing. And you start forgetting about your goals, right? Well, like we watch all of these success podcasts. You got to do whatever it takes. You got to continue growing. You want to be a like billionaire. And that's not really the true goal for everyone, although they might fool themselves to think it is because they forget about their why, like what bought them in there in the first place, right? Then their headaches multiply, they start burning out and they lose the passion. So I, I think it was very important that you realize that like, yeah, I could go into multifamily, but I got into this in the first place to design a lifestyle of freedom in which if you get into multifamily, sure, you can make a ton more money, but is it really worth all of that extra headache? No, not really, right? There's another path to it. And, and that's the path that you explored. I think that relates to me a lot because I'm starting to kind of feel that part of the journey where it's like, okay, I've acquired doors. I want, I'm still going to acquire doors, not at the pace that I did before, yeah. right? I have my own business as well, um, but I still feel behind the eight ball. Like I'm seeing people make progress. So like, okay, like Austin, what can you do? to continue making those leaps and bound progress. Like, then I realized, like, do I really need to do that, right? Now, all I need to do is take little steps forward because I've, I've had that strong foundation and base. Um, so I really relate to what you said there. Well, I, yeah. so I think we have a great like real estate community, right? Like I think everyone within the community for the most part, we start to eventually like meet one another. Like this is my first time meeting Gary and like maybe before either, but I think a lot of people, it's a very small community of real estate investors, right? But I do think the community, like you guys have both said, is very much growth or stagnate. Like if you're not growing, you're stagnating, right? And I don't really know if that's the right answer or the right mentality for everyone. Um, not to point holes in our community, right? I think it's a great community, but I do think people take like the, like the mini retirements, like that, like what Gary's talking about, right? And Gary, do you find that like when you come back from those mini retirements that you're more productive, or do you find that you then need to kind of ease back into things? Oh, you're going to ease back into things for sure. Because, because when you, when you're partying for two months, <laughs> <laughs> you, you got to ease back into it, but you're right. You bring up a good point that people think, Oh, you got to be growing. You got to keep growing all the time. You know what? Sometimes in those quiet moments, sometimes when you're relaxing and not doing anything, there's a lot of growth in that as well, too. 
there's a lot of great ideals that are coming to my mind and I'm, I'm still jotting them down. I'm like, hey, that's a good idea. Because here's the other thing as well, too, because people get so caught up in the retirement that when, when they retire when they're 65, I said, man, my body's not going to be able to handle the CDs at that, that well at that age. So why not do it while I'm still young? Why not enjoy it when I'm still long, young? Um, you know, I mean, look, I'm getting a bit older now, but but at least I still have the the energy and the vitality to continue to keep in, in, enjoying life. So why not? It's okay. I personally think it's okay to slow down. Not everybody likes to slow down, and that's fine. I think you've got to find what resonates with you, what resonates with your friends and your family um and 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 that circle that you've got around you and so i just kind of this this is the life that i've created i know that some people may look at it differently and that's fine we're we're, we're all different we're all here for different reasons and and we have different goals and aspirations there's nothing wrong with that again there's certain things that i've i've learned even when i interviewed you austin that i'm like that is a great idea let me incorporate that into what i'm doing or watching what maybe you know an andrew hines is doing or Mark Loeffler or whoever it may be. And like, this is great, mm, not really big big on this. And then kind of tie that into the path that I'm on. Um, and that's what I enjoy. Let me ask you this, Gary. Yeah. Um, you mentioned a bit earlier that you weren't a fanatic of, of real estate investing, like actually the operational side of things, right? Which is why you slowed down on it. Can you be successful in real estate without necessarily being passionate in it? Yeah, absolutely. Because I've realized and understand that it's just a vehicle. So it's not to say that I won't buy anymore. If, if I think I need to, maybe I will. But it's just a vehicle. Like I don't wake up and, 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 and I'm excited about, like, look at the, 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 these the properties that I own, the bricks and the mortar and the roofs. And, uh, oh, I got to deal with some tenants and, oh, maintenance issues. And, oh, look, a tenant left. And those are all moving pieces that are not super enjoyable if you really think about it what is why are we doing it you're doing it for income for wealth building and to enjoy life isn't that what we're doing it for so then i think it's important not to lose sight of that and i think people do so so now if i'm like well hey you know what um i want to maybe do something i put on my whiteboard and i don't maybe have enough income or enough money for it maybe i might go buy another investment property or maybe i'll lend up more money or whatever it may be but it's, it's a vehicle and I've, I've never put anybody in my car and drove around to all my investment properties and say look at this property this is my baby i love it <laughs> you know what i mean like it's it's not at least not for me maybe there are some people that are passionate about it but for me personally i'm not and i think it's just important to have this conversation for people to know and understand that it's okay if you're not passionate about real estate investment but do use it as a vehicle because i'll touch on something that's important is that what is happening right now in the world and that's been happening since say you know for since 71 when Richard Nixon, Nixon took us off the gold standard, we now have this fiat currency that is being devalued. And once I understood that, then I used real estate because it was the best way to, to protect my wealth. That's why I'm doing it. It's protecting my wealth. It's, it's allowing my kids to be able to have an education, uh, whatever they want, wherever they want. That's why I'm doing it, right? And, and now with the monetary policy and the fiscal policy that they're doing, they're even stealing more of your energy and more of your time by this um, invisible tax called inflation. And people that are not educated, their wealth are being stolen from them. That's, that's why I do what I do. So I think that was a lot. I think um, the one thing I want to ask you about after is, so you went to private lending and then eventually you went into the brokerage side as well, right? Yeah. Um, so were you, are you an active like realtor or how did you end up in the brokerage side? And um, I guess the, the bigger question is, that are, are you essentially like bringing in partners to handle the operations? Are you actively involved in operations or how do you structure your business out of curiosity, really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that was a lot there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so, so I am a co-owner of a brokerage. Um, my partners actually reached out to me because they saw what I was doing with my community with real estate investors. And so I went out and I did a presentation to their realtors about the importance of real estate investing and, and how we can open up more doors for the clients that they have, because they had clients that bought their own residential primary residence. Um, and now they get all this equity in it. So then why not teach them how to tap into that equity and understand the difference between good debt and bad debt? And so I guess they 
I guess they liked the presentation. And we went out for dinner and they decided to say, present an offer saying, would you like to be a partner? And so what we did essentially was we brought Smart Home Choice into the brokerage to, to teach the real estate investors on the importance of real estate investing. So it's almost like a marriage. And there, there really isn't a, a brokerage in the Durham region that has a real estate investment arm in it. So there's a, a huge advantage for those realtors in that group. And every single week we, we do events to teach these realtors on the importance of real estate investing. And, uh, and, and so that, that's the, the, the brokerage part. Now, there was another question there as well, too. Um, I guess how you structure your businesses, whether you're like actively operating the- mm, Good question, yes. So I am a real estate agent as well, too. And so one of the things that you learn when you're growing your business is that you should be working on your business, not in your business. However, there are aspect of, aspects of my business that I still enjoy. And I still enjoy taking clients out. So you may see some posts of me on social media with me out with a client. Those are clients that I want to specifically work with. Now, new investors that are coming in, I have a team. And so most of them are going with those agents. And those, Chris and Quentin uh, and, and Ryan, those guys are solid. They, they understand real estate investing very well. But my core investors that I work with are the ones that I want to continue to, to, to help and go out with. Um, I'll still continue to go out into the field. So... You know, some people may take a look at that business model and say, well, yeah, but Gary, you should be working on your business. But, but if you enjoy an aspect of your business that brings you pleasure, then why not continue to do that? And so, so that's why I still continue to go out in the field, but I don't do it as often as I used to back in the days, or I'm not always like looking for new, new clients coming in. They're usually reaching out to me saying, hey, Gary, I'm ready to purchase another investment property. I'm like, hey, cool, let's go out. And then, so then it's fun. It's fun because we're laughing, we're joking, we're looking at properties. Um, I'm, you know, I'm giving them the pros and cons of each one and then they're making their decision, you know? And, and so I enjoy that part of it. Yeah, you're, you're working with the people that are serious, they're ready, they're ready to pound. So for you, it's more so let's make offers, let's negotiate a crazy deal and like, let's just get a win-win here, right? So right. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Actually, I, I really enjoy the podcast. I know uh, we're kind of reaching our timeline on the podcast. Um, but I think it was a great episode. I think we talked about a completely different train of thought that a lot of people in the investor community currently go like try to try to um, embody or whatever it is, right? Um, so Gary, like generally this time we like to ask our guests kind of um, three rapid round kind of questions. So where do, what what are your goals like five years from now, both personal business, any of your businesses? Um, where do you really envision yourself? Um, good question. I guess got asked this yesterday as well too. Um, so you know what I'm. I'm Financial freedom is great. Um, time freedom is great as well, too. And I think now focusing on maybe potentially geographical freedom, meaning that I can work wherever I want to work uh, in the world, and, but still have my business running and operating um, because I've got the right people, players, partners in place. Um, so I think that's probably kind of what I'm working on next. You know, if I want to, you know, spend a couple months in Costa Rica or, uh, you know, in Europe or Florida or wherever I can do it and not worry about, you know, um, I have to be here in uh, the country to allow this thing to continue to keep moving forward. Yeah, that's an awesome goal. Makes sense as the next step. You know, if you can travel six months, seven, eight months out of the year, why not get right. away from the cold Canadian weather? Um, yeah. Second question here is if you won $10 million and you only had seven days to spend it, um, and you cannot spend it all on real estate investing. Um, how would you spend it and why? Good question. I mean, first, I think I'd have to um, whiteboard it, right? I'd have to design it. Um, but I, I think here's what I would do then is I would, I, would, I would give a portion of it to give to somebody else to invest for me. I would give a portion of it to charity. I think it's always good to give back. And then uh, I would you know, probably give a portion to myself to learn how to invest that in maybe other areas and avenues that might um, uh, allow me to uh, expand my, my knowledge and experience. And if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Tupac and Biggie. Huh. <laughs> you know, I think I would probably do those two to, to say, man, why did you guys have to do that beef? We, we lost two legends. <laughs> love it love it yeah i know i'm a big hip-hop fan so uh i'm happy to hear that answer <laughs> yeah you know I, yeah. I would i would like to i think they, they were my favorite as well too and uh it uh 
it shaped who I was when I was younger. Uh, okay, off topic. What's your favorite Biggie track? <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Ready to die. Yeah, and you know, okay. and and as, and as it, it sounds bad to say that, but I think what, if you are, then you're then ready to live, right? And I think that's where you have to be ready to live, like not being scared to like just enjoying life, right? Enjoying life. I, I know when people ask me this question, like, hey, you know, how, how are things going? I'm like, man, I woke up today. It's a good day. You know, and I think people get caught up in, in all these things that they've got to do and they've got to do this and they've got to do that. And they get caught up in all the small intricacies of life. But, you know, just if you can start the day by saying, man, I'm glad I woke up today, that's a good place to be. Because mm-hmm. then now everything else that gets thrown at you um, I think you can tackle with a better and a, and a, and a clearer mind. Yeah, no, I think that song, I know this is off topic. I think that song was all about like his life was, you know, like there was nothing going for him. So he was taking chances and opportunities, right? That's why he said he was ready to die. Like he'll do anything to better her circumstances. Anyway, that's neither here or there. Uh, really appreciate you jumping on Gary. It was, uh, it was amazing to have you on and have this podcast go a much different direction than what we're usually used to um so designing your lifestyle that's what you're all about um that's I'm, I'm hoping to take some some key takeaways from this and start applying it to my business and life as well if people want to reach out to you if they want to attend the smart home choice seminars um learn about investing from you and your community how could they do so yeah um yeah thanks for that but yeah if they want to learn more about uh you know smart home choice and all the events that we've got going on every single week you can go to smart home choice .ca, put your name, email address in there, um, and uh, you, you won't miss any of the uh, the weekly events that we do every Thursday at either a lunch and learn or uh, an evening event at 8 p.m. If you want to learn more about me specifically in the podcast and, and uh, any of the mentorships that I do, you can go to GaryHibbert.ca. Uh, and you also have your podcast there. Um, why don't you give a, a quick rundown on that? Yeah, so the podcast is called Real Talk with Gary, um, wealth, health, and and everything in between. And I really kind of called it that was because I think that if you're building wealth, it's also important to to have health as well too. Because once your health goes away, that's the only thing that's important. So treat your body like a temple, and then the everything in between. I kind of kept that open because I didn't know where I wanted to take the podcast um, because I I enjoy talking to different people in different walks of life. And uh, and because of that, I just kind of kept it open. Uh, I kept it open because I don't know where I wanted to take it. Who knows? Um, but I just want to interview people that are um, entertaining, people that are um, uh, successful and have had good times and bad times in their lives and to share their story with other people so that they can also learn uh, how to how, how to live a great life and, 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 and enjoy um the 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 gift that they've been given this is a gift this is a gift right so don't waste it enjoy it i love it i love it well thought out title for us we pigeonholed ourselves into real estate investing (laughs) unless we rebrand mayu let's take this combo (laughs) offline joking yeah well Um, you know what though rise rise is good i like that right you know i I think it's good (laughs) rise real estate investing podcast (laughs) cross that part out and change it um but before we wrap up uh to all our audience listeners make sure to like subscribe do whatever you can to support this podcast helps bring great guests like gary out here and until next time everyone invest smarter and live better take care all (laughs) 